Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. I love that our church is a safe space, and I love that everyone can be included regardless of culture, religion, background, faith, gender, whatever. Everyone is welcome here. In fact, churches should be one of the only spaces where you can come in and not have to worry about that. And I'm sure you were greeted on the way in, Bob and Trudy, wonderful people. In fact, most people who got... Yeah, do we love our greeter, our host greeter team? No matter who you are, what you smell like, if you're from East Coast, West Coast, Bob and Trudy, welcome you. They're one of the faces of our campus and have been since, since day one. And it's good and important that we have people like Bob and Trudy and all of our greeting team because, quite frankly, I have a number of reasons why I would cut many of you from church this morning if it was, if, if it was left up to me. And I, I don't want to mention any names or embarrass anyone out, but I was hearing Fatty sing this morning, and I think, I think you brought us off-key a little bit this morning, bro, so... Uh, and messing with worship isn't cool. So if it was up to me, I may, I may cut you from church, but considering... <laughs> and actually, there were a number of human rights codes violations when I walked in this morning. I was hugged and grabbed unwantedly a number of times, and I'm not going to point out who that, who that was. And then there was a few people that walked... <laughs> yeah, Gavin didn't hug me at all. There was a few people that walked right by who I would have loved to hug from, and they didn't hug me, but you know who you are, and you can expect to be cut from the team as well. Amanda. <laughs> Rejection is a horrible feeling, isn't it? When, when, you're, when something is pointed out and you're, and, you're, and you're cut, if you're visiting with us, I am so sorry. We would actually... <laughs> that was a joke. I, I tend to joke every once in a while from there, if you know me. But it's, we make ourselves vulnerable and we put ourselves out there and humans can be so cruel and 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 our hope is that we would never get hurt but do do you remember like the first time you you worked up enough confidence to ask somebody out on a date like you thought that they may have interest in you and you you, these feelings are coming inside you and then that reject that crushing rejection blow when they weren't interested in you or 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 maybe it's the same thing as like a job application you're like i have enough experience i have the right education. This is the perfect job for me. And you put your job in and then you get that form letter back from the company saying, thank you. We have received your application and we will keep that on file. And if a job comes up in the next 365 days, we will be in touch with you. And you're like, oh, I was rejected right when I submitted the application. You know you deserve a yes. You're terrified of a no. And it scares many people away from even trying. And like I said, for those of you visiting, I am not a jerk. We actually love everybody singing, and we love everybody participating. No one can be cut from the church, and except for me and Heather, of course. We can be cut. If Pastor Doug decides we need to be cut, then we're out. <laughs> but we're in a series called Moses Unscripted. And Moses is a character in the Bible that is, well, he's a person in the Bible, not just a character. He's a r- real life, and we're looking at his story because he's one that many people would know, And many of us would say, well, I'm not like Moses. I didn't lead a nation. I didn't do miracles. But what we're finding as we've tracked through is that actually we do find ourselves in the same place as Moses many times. And we're going to pick up the story here. And we're going to see what happens when Moses 
thought he heard the call of God on his life, and he started to follow that call. So we're moving on here into um, Exodus chapter 4, all the way through Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Now, no, we're not going to sit and read that verse for verse, because that would be a long time, but I want to walk you through this passage. And you may want to open your Bibles. If you have your Bible, open it up. If not, just pull up your version. If you want a copy of the Bible, Mark has a couple of copies back there. He can make sure that you get one, so just flag him down, and he'll make sure you have one to follow through, because it's two whole chapters of the Bible that we're kind of walking through. But as we begin in Exodus 4, Moses had just had this encounter at the burning bush, and we had spoken of this last week where, we had, where, where, where Moses had to take off his shoes and he was hearing the call of God, uh, he was hearing the voice of God to, um, to follow him, and, and, then, and then God said, I'm going to send you to, back to your people and you're going to be the leader for all of Israel and you're going to take them out of Egypt where they were, they were being treated as slaves and Moses isn't so sure that he can actually follow through on this. So then he starts to question God. And he goes, God, how are they going to listen to me? I, I'm, just this, I'm just this guy. I'm a foreigner to both nations, actually. They don't know who I am. How am I supposed to show up and do what you're asking me to do, what you think that I could do? And so then God convinces Moses by doing some miracles. And he has a, he has a stick in his hand. And he says, throw down the stick. And the stick becomes a snake. And then he has this other cool little magic trick that happens. He puts his hand inside his cloak and it comes out and it's, and it's, it's full of leprosy, which is not that cool, actually, if you're Moses. And then, and then he puts it back in and it comes back out and he's completely healed. And God starts proving to him. He says, Moses, if you'll follow and trust me, I will do the work for you. I'll do the miracles. I've got the power that you don't have. I'm not actually asking you to lead out of your own strength and your own ability, I'm going to do it for you if you just trust me. Well, then Moses has another argument for him as we track down into verse 10. He says, I'm slow of speech. And there's, and there's two ways that we can actually interpret this. For s- some people, we would interpret this as Moses saying, I have a stutter. I'm not very intelligent. And, we, we, and we've heard that. And many of us have struggled with getting the words out that we want to get out because we rush ahead. There's another interpretation of this that Moses, remember, he spent three years in his mother's home learning the basics of what would have been the Hebrew language. Then he, was in, uh, then he was in the palace for the next 37 years, and he would have learned the language, the dialect that the Egyptians were speaking, some form of, um, some form of, a, of a Persian language probably at that time. And then he spends 40 years out in the wilderness. Remember, it was like from, from Egypt to where he was going. That was like from Ontario, from Milton, all the way to Winnipeg. So it's a big distance away. They don't speak the same language. So for 40 years, he had been speaking a completely different language. And now God is saying, you're supposed to go back and you're going to talk to the Pharaoh in his language and you're going to talk to the Hebrew people in their language. And Moses is saying, listen, I would be completely clumsy and slow of speech in trying to speak to these people. I don't even have the capability. But God says, no, I'll give you the words. I'm going to take care of this. So then Moses goes to his father-in-law and says, Jethro, I need to go because God is doing some pretty cool things and he's really compelling me to go. So I'm going to walk out and I, I'm going to leave, do the trek all the way back from Winnipeg. Now he's going back to Milton. And, and so Jethro blesses and releases Moses. And as they're, even as they're on their way, there's this really unique part in this story in verses 24 through 26. If you don't believe me, open the Bible and read this. Angel, God has just called him to go 
And then as he starts on the journey, an angel stops him right in the, in, in the pathway and is going to kill Moses after he's a following what Moses, or what, what, God, what Moses felt God was telling him to do. And immediately his wife somehow recognizes that his son hadn't been circumcised. And he's about to go lead the people who believe that if you're not circumcised, you're completely unclean and, and, and unworthy. So she right there in the middle of the journey circumcises their son the blood touches Moses, and all of a sudden, they're made clean. I'm telling you, that's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I would not choose to be speaking on this this morning. This is, I'm going to blame Joe, the teaching pastor, said we're speaking on this this morning. If you have complaints, email him, not me. But that's, this happens in the Bible, and, and it reminds us how, how, how if he's going to lead this nation that takes God's laws so stringently, then he needs to make sure that everything's in order, and, and so then he becomes accepted by God, and then they walk all the way back, to Egypt, and Moses and Aaron, his brother, present themselves before the Israelites, and they say, God has called us to help lead you out of slavery, and they're thinking, you guys, I, we, we know one of you, we don't know the other one, so let's see how this all works out. So they go to Pharaoh, and they present themselves to the Pharaoh, who would have been the leader of the known world at the time, the most powerful person, and, they, and they, they speak really boldly, and they do the little trick where they throw the stick on the ground, and it becomes a snake, and Pharaoh's like, yeah, I have a lot of people that can do that trick as well, and they do the exact same trick, and Moses says, you need, and then Moses' snake overtakes the other snakes, but, but Moses says, I uh, let my people go so they may worship their God in the wilderness, and Pharaoh says, I don't think so. Your people are my workforce. It's free labor. Nobody's walking in here and telling me what to do, and he sends them out, and then because of what Moses had demanded and asked of, of the Pharaoh, then he goes to the people who are in charge of the Hebrew slaves and says, all right, they think they're so big, they think they're going to just demand that we leave. We're going to make sure that they have to maintain their work, for, their work um, projection. So they were supposed to make a certain number of, they were making concrete blocks out of, stray, out of um, straw, hay, and, and mud. And he said, we're going to take away the straw, now you're just going to have to make it without any of the straw there, but you can't drop in production. So Moses is not only rejected seemingly by God, then he shows up, he's rejected by Pharaoh when God told him to go, and now he has to go back to all of his people and say, I've got just bad news, not good news and bad news, really, really just bad news. A, we're not going anywhere, and B, you're going to have to work a little bit harder, and well, a lot bit harder, and, and they're not really happy with us right now. And then we get all the then then Moses... Where does Moses turn from here? What do you think? Like, he goes back to God and says, God, what the heck is going on? Like, we, this is a big journey. This is a big thing. You lit a bush on fire. You spoke to me. You did all these miracles. You told me what I'm supposed to do. You send me here, and then it's all coming and crashing. I'm being rejected by you, by Pharaoh, by people. Why wouldn't you just leave me alone? I was a happy sheep herder. Remember that beautiful scene at Midian we had last week with the sunset? And he could have stayed there. He was 80 years old. He could have lived out his retirement in the wilderness and with the sheep, and he would have been fine. God, why did you send me to do this? And we get to verse 1 in chapter 6, and this is the one where you want to read, where God reassures and promises Moses. He says, I'm going to set the people I want to take 15 or 20 minutes this morning, and we've got four principles for you to consider. I want you to evaluate your own life and the call of God on your own life based on what we're seeing in Moses' life, because I think we can relate to a lot of these principles saying, I think God might have spoken to me once, but I'm not 100% sure what he said, and I've got a whole bunch of reasons why I can't do what God told me to do, 
and there's a whole bunch of obstacles in the way of actually preventing me. I'm not worthy enough, so God might even prevent me from doing it. For sure, the people that are in authority would prevent me from doing it, and everybody else that knows me may completely reject me. I think many of us can see ourselves in this. So let's look at what happened with Moses during this story. So the first thought is this. If you're filling in your blanks, you can do, either do it on your, on your device. You can just kind of fill it in. Or if you're taking notes, there's pen and paper there as well in your bulletin. Is that God gives you everything that you need to carry out the mission. We go back to Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. And the first question that he asks Moses is, what is in your hand? And we could spend the whole, we could spend the whole morning, we could spend actually a whole series just on this question alone God asking you, what is in your hand? We need to understand this, that we are uniquely created and uniquely positioned to do something that only we can do. You have experiences that no one else has. You have talents that no one else has. You have time that no one else has. Somebody may have different time. You may not think you have a lot of time. You may not think you have a lot of talent. It's unique. God created us so different and unique. And if you are waiting, guys, if we are waiting for something amazing to happen in our midst, in our church, in our community, based on the collective skills and efforts and ability of what I can accomplish as a leader or what Heather and I can accomplish as a leader, you are sorely mistaken that something great is going to happen. There is, there is, a, there is a finite amount of work that we can do. There is a finite amount of skills that we have. But there is an infinite amount of skills that God has entrusted in his church and in his people and there is never a model of church that was established that said, look to the people that were paid to do it or look to the people that stepped up that said do it and they'll do the rest of it. No, the model is what is in your hand? Unqualified, maybe, you feel. But the, the, the kingdom of God will only do amazing things when God's people commit to using what they have to accomplish the things that only they are uniquely created to do. There are all kinds of ministry opportunities waiting and ready, and they're just ready for you to start them. It's always an interesting conversation when somebody says, I wish we had this in our church. And I say, That's a wonderful suggestion, and I can help you get that started. If, if there's anything you wish you see happening in the community, wish you see happening in the church, is it possible that you have a stick in your hand that God is ready to use to help you fulfill that empty need? I don't think it's, be, it's incumbent on, on, the, on the staff of Portico to make Everyone in Milton come to know Jesus, to make this church. Ama- no, it is on, we're, we are a church that works together. And we're so concerned about the, the, the ability of the object that we have in our hand. And we say, you know what, this isn't, I, I'm not qualified, I'm not equipped. What I have to offer isn't anything the church could use. Moses had a stick. He was, he was, it was a stick. Seriously. And God said, no, okay, watch what I can do when you offer me what's in your hand. So telling God that our gifting, that our ability is not developed enough, it's not refined enough, it's not important enough for him to do anything significant is a, is a, is a useless <laughs> practice. Because God took Moses' stick and did miracles. Why couldn't he use you in your work, in your home, in our church, in our community? In fact, we could even push this further. Let's go, let's go back to the life of David. Do you remember, remember David? He's this young shepherd, again, comes. He, he sees the Israeli army, army, Israeli army, that's not a word, the Israeli army, they're being threatened by the Philistine army. And he says, 
why isn't anybody taking on this army and this giant who is, who is calling out insults towards us? And Well, nobody wants to fight. Nobody has the ability to do it. <laughs> David says, sure we do. <laughs> so then David goes to the king and says, I can do this. And the king says, okay, let me give you my sword and my armor because here are the tools that I have to go and fight this battle. And David goes, no. Let's look at 1 Samuel 17, verses 39 through 40. David fastened his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So he's putting on the king's tools. And here's what David says. I cannot go in these. I can't go with the tools that you've used, that you've had, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his, uh, in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag. And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David goes, the tools that the professionals use are not what I'm going to use. I'm going to use what I have. And what does David go do? He goes and he kills Goliath. And all of a sudden, Israel is free. And David becomes his great leader because he looked at those around him and said, I'm not using what you have. I'm doing what I can do. In fact, Paul in the New Testament, when he was writing to the church in the New Testament, he said, church, you're thinking improperly. The church was debating whether some people's gifts were more valuable. This is the church in Corinth. And if you know about the New Testament, you know this was a messed up place where there were people really trying to figure out what it looked like to follow God, but there was chaos and there was, there was, there was a whole bunch of crazy stuff happening within their midst in terms of their sexuality, in terms of their relationship, in terms of how they did church. And then all of a sudden, some of these, these leadership and teaching gifts get highlighted as more important. And this would be us as a modern church looking to say what we produce on Sunday mornings, the people that can do video and lighting and anyone that can, that can sing out and play and sing and the people that can teach, those are the ones that are the, the important roles in the church. And look what Paul says to that line of thinking, 1 Corinthians 12, 20 and 22. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, here's what Paul says. Let's start thinking this way. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the indispensable parts. And Moses takes his stick and he's going to free people. And David takes stones and he's going to free people. And, and we look at our church. And the parts that lead Sunday morning service, great. We're not going to do any life transformation on Sunday morning. We're going to inspire. We're going to teach. We're going to lead it in worship but the life transformation, the, the community transformation happens when we start to collectively realize, what do I have that I can offer that God can use and completely change the lives of people around us? Do you know why we support the MCRC and why we support two families, give them all their needs for all their diapers and all their, all their uh, baby food? And all? Do you know why we do that? Because there was a church member that said, I really think we should do that. <laughs> and, said, and I said, great, that's an awesome idea. Let me help you. We'll do it every Christmas. We can... We've done an amazing thing as a church because one church member said, I'll go for that meeting, I'll go help, I'll step up and do that. Do you know why we have a youth ministry that meets every, every Friday night right now? Because somebody said, I'm going to step back from some of the roles that somebody else can do and I'm going to just lead youth ministry because I'm passionate about seeing our kids come to know Jesus and have somebody, a place where they can bring their friends. And you know, I may, I may travel a lot, I may not have a lot of extra time, but I can do this, I can do Friday nights and make sure that we have a youth ministry. And we have a mission to accomplish as a church, and our mission is this, helping people find their way back to God, not have the best Sunday services, not have the best, not, not have the best outreach program. It is helping people find their way back to God. That's the only reason we do anything that we do. And we will never get there unless we convince ourselves it's worth the risk to offer what's in our hand 
to participate in the mission. I told you I could preach a whole series on this. <laughs> we need to know that God has already equipped us with everything we need to carry out the mission. Second thing is this. God is going to surround you with the people that you need to carry out the mission. This is a huge fear for many of us. We say, I have something that maybe I could do, that maybe I could offer, but I can't, I can't do this alone. And Moses shared your fear. And, th- and God said three things to him that happened along the way. Exodus 4 and 14, he said, I'm already sending your brother Aaron, who knows the language of the people. Remember, Moses said, I'm slow of speech. We know that he could speak because he, uh, <laughs> he spoke very boldly to Pharaoh, and he ended up speaking very boldly to the people of Israel later. So he, was, he had ability, but he didn't know the language. So he sent Aaron along, who knew the language. Jethro could have stood in his way and said, Jethro, uh, Moses, I gave you my daughter. I gave you all, my, all, all of my land. You're supposed to take this over. But instead, Jethro in Exodus 4 and 8 to 18 says, go and I wish you well. And then he's got Zipporah alongside of him. And when Moses was out of line, even in, in honoring God, Zipporah intervenes and says, you know what? I'll make sure that our lives are sacred in front of God. He, all the people that Moses needed were surrounded in his life. And every Christ follower is not only gifted, and God qualifies you. If you know Jesus, you are qualified to serve. Because it's not our own, our own righteousness anymore. It is Jesus made the sacrifice for us, and when we believe and accept him, he, that's, it's 100% done. We are now able to serve him. We are now qualified to go and share that love. The Bible college doesn't qualify us. Bible college teaches us some theology and, and, and teaches us some leadership skills, but God qualifies us. And then he surrounds us with people. And oftentimes people don't serve because they feel like there isn't a role that fits them and then they don't want to step out because they're afraid, well, there's no one else to do it with me. Here's my challenge of faith, or here comes the challenge out of the word this morning. Step up and lead and see if God doesn't already have a team to bring around you. Step up and say, I will do this and just see if the same gifts and abilities aren't somewhere else within the church just waiting for somebody to say, I'll be the one that will do this. I wrote a book about resiliency a couple years ago, and the study of the book was this. It said that, that failures, challenges in our lives, are obstacles that should be normal on the path of succeeding towards anything. We, we have this incorrect thinking that says, if it's right, and if I'm supposed to do it, then it will be easy. And when I succeed, I learn. And when I succeed, it's good. But if you look at development all over the place, failure teaches us something that success doesn't teach us. Failure, failure brings other people around to help us to say, well, you know what? I can help you with this. Let me refine your thinking a little bit. Failure uh, toughens us up. There's all kinds of things that we can do when we fail. There's all kinds of people that come around when we fail. And the success feels even greater in the end. And we recognize that it wasn't our just natural ability and it wasn't luck because we fail. And if we are just waiting for the perfect scenario and the perfect role to, to step out and the perfect team already there, we're going to miss some of the greatest things that God wants to do in our church and in our community because we're, we're afraid that we would fail. We're afraid that no one else wants to do it with us. And God, your third fill in the blank is that God allows you to face obstacles as you carry out the mission. And if you characterize resistance from other people as a sign that you are on the wrong path. You're completely misguided on this, on, the, on this thinking. Let's go back into Moses' life. God called him, and then God confronted him. Think about that. Was God going back on his word? No. 
God was saying, sometimes I'm going to call you, and then I've got to do some work in your life. (laughs) When you step out, then's the time when refining is going to happen, when you step out. When he went right to Pharaoh, if, if the end result was actually going to be that all of the Israelites were going to leave Egypt and God was going to have to convince Pharaoh anyway, why did he let them go through this failure process? If I were God and I didn't want humans to experience failure and I knew I was going to let them go anyways and I knew the only reason they were going to go was because I changed Pharaoh's heart, I would not have gone through this process of going back and forth and back and forth and and rejection and failure and plagues and all these things. Why would he do that? Because failure is part of our journey. Stepping out and risking is part of refining us, is part of following God, is part of us realizing that it's God doing it. And some of us are sitting in church today with an idea that that would change the way that we do ministry as a church, would change the way that people understand Jesus in our town. But we're unable to move because we're afraid that it might not work when we put that idea out there. We're afraid that it might not happen the way that we imagined right away. We tried it once even, and it didn't work. Let's remind ourselves at the end of this story and what comes next. God guarantees you success as you carry out the mission. This, this passage ends with a promise, and we started the teaching time with this verse. God guarantees you success as you carry out the mission. Exodus 6 and 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. See, I I, I love this. He called Moses to do it. (laughs) And then he says, But you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. And because of my mighty hand, he'll let them go. God's called us to do things. He's gifted us to do things. He even qualifies us to do things. And our job is to risk, (laughs) to trust, to believe that he's got the people, that he's got the power. We're going to take some time in a minute and we're going to reflect. I wanted to, we didn't want to sing at the end. We had a great time of worship earlier singing, I wanted us to think and reflect. What is the stick that God gave you? And if he gave it to you, what does he want you to do with it? Moses' stick was his, his tool for work. It's what he carried around. To We learned in the shepherding when we were looking at the, the roles of Jesus. Remember, they, they had to tap on the rocks and the sheep went that way. That was part of it. It was it was, it was a symbol for him. It, it identified who he was as a worker. What are the tools that God gave you? And if God has gifted you to do it and called you to do it, he's going to bring a team around you and it's going to work out. In scripture, I see some really regular people doing some highly improbable things. He asked the apostle Paul to leave the place where Christianity was being accepted. Remember, Jesus goes into heaven There's this group of probably 50 to 100 followers. And then it starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. And in all of Jerusalem and all of Israel, Christianity is spreading like wildfire. And you've got thousands of people every day coming to know Christ. Wouldn't you want the greatest teacher right there in the midst of all the people who are starting to know Jesus and believe in Jesus? (laughs) And he says to Paul, now I want you to go into Turkey and into Eastern Europe and I want you to hold religious discussion forums and plant churches 
with people who have no idea about this Jewish religion and who Jesus is. And in fact, the people that you're going to speak to, the Jewish people aren't even going to want to include them in your church. That's who I'm sending you to. That's crazy. Acts 18, 9 and 10. On one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision as Paul's out there. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. There were people ready to drive him out on both sides, the Jewish side and as he's going through Eastern Europe here. If you go back to the Old Testament, we see Joshua, who is going to lead a fight against the city with a wall that was three to five meters thick and even higher. And all, they, all God said was, you're going to march around and you're going to praise me. And look what we see in Joshua 1 and 5 and 6. Before he went out, he said, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. What a powerful thought for us. The same way that he took Moses' stick, he's going to be with Joshua and he will be with us. I will never leave you and forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So the question for us this morning is, what are you going to do with it? God asks, what is in your hand? What skill do you have? Are you willing to be vulnerable and offer it to God? Because you may be rejected and you may fail. And God promises success in the end. All those things are true. You're equipped, you'll be rejected, you may fail, and you'll succeed. That takes being vulnerable to put yourself out there for that. So this morning, we're just going to be quiet for two or three minutes, and if if you need to close your eyes and pray, if you just need to write out something, God's asking you what's in your hand, and are you willing to risk it?
have three values in our church. We call them connect, grow, and serve. What we do on Sundays, we connect with Christ and his family together. And then we believe we should be growing together in some kind of group. <clears throat> and we also believe that we should be serving. That each of, And to belong to a family like this is, means we find a place where we can each do that. Here's the wonderful thing. Some of us will serve here within these buildings. Some of us will serve out in the community. Some of us, God will, God will speak to you and say, I want you to be volunteering in, in a role at your work. Some of us will be saying, I know, I, you know what I really need you to do is that, like, the, the swim team needs coaching, and, and I'm going to put you there, and I'm going to, you can serve anywhere. But, but there's something amazing when we, when we trust God that the voice we're hearing is him speaking to us. We recognize what we have to give, and we give it to him. There's something amazing. I, I hope that you heard something from God this morning. And even if this is your first time in a church service like this, the only requirement is that you believe that Jesus was God's son, that he raised him from the dead, and that you receive salvation, you receive acceptance by God by believing in him. Once that happens, you're 100% in with God. And then the next call is to figure out how to serve him by sharing that love and that acceptance with other people. And that's why we serve. That's why we do. So I hope I have some conversations this week with some people that say, I have a, I have a thought, <laughs> I have a dream. I hope that you go and have conversations at work with your family, whatever. Even if you're not serving anywhere, we're, we're having an Inspire meeting tonight when all our leaders are getting together. Come tonight and chat. We're going to be talking specifically about what are we going to do as a church this summer so that more people will know that there's a church that wants people to come and know Jesus. So we're going to find ways to serve in our, in our community. And we started that conversation at the last Inspire. Come tonight. We always like to represent Milton really well, these things. We blow them out of the water. Don't we? we lead the thing anyway. <laughs> there are needs in this community and in this church that will go unmet until the people of God respond to serve and lead as he has gifted and called you to do. I'm not asking you to put your trust in me. We, I don't put my trust in Doug as a leader. I put my trust in God. I trust Doug. <laughs> I hope there's some trust here. <laughs> But we put our trust in God, that he's, he will do what he said he would do, and he will use us, and the victory is already won as we offer our gifts over to him. I want to pray for you. Pray for us. Lord, we believe you've called us to something great. We believe that there are thousands in this town that don't know you and need to know you. And the way that they are going to come to know you is by when I step up and say, my home is open for a small group. When I step up and say, I'm going to lead a service team that serves our city council, that serves the MCRC, that serves somewhere, Lord. God, they're going to come to know you. Their kids are going to come to know you because I know that there are 30 kids in our children's ministries every week that, that need someone to teach them who Jesus is, not, not care for them for 45 minutes while church happens, but to teach them about the love of God. I will step up and be that person because you've gifted me and equipped me. And in Jesus' name, I pray right now, you solidify something in our hearts. We're open. God, we, we know we're supposed to be like clay. And sometimes we're a little more rigid than that because we don't like change and we don't like risk and we don't like failure and rejection. And, and so God, I thank you for the assurance that even though those things come, the wind has already been taken care of. 
And every failure along the way pushes us towards, towards that win. And, and God, is, as we do this, I pray you give us the confidence. I pray for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The fruit of patience. The fruit of faithfulness. The fruit of peace. So that as, as we lead and as we rest, God, we wouldn't worry about it. God, thank you for this amazing, amazing church that meets together, that inspires one another to do, to do great things. So Lord, as we, as we offer these gifts up to you, God, I pray that collectively we would go and see amazing things happen for the kingdom of God in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name.